Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. There are some cases that are destined to remain cold no matter how much science and technology advance. On December 17, 1938, a young, promising woman went missing and her case, despite all of the advances forensics have made, remains completely frozen solid. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Margaret Martin, born in either 1918 or 1919, was a Pennsylvania girl from the day she was born. After graduating from Kingston High School in 1937, the promising young woman started taking classes at the Wilkes-Barre Business College to gain some secretarial skills and a job in the male-dominated workforce. The 19-year-old graduated with honors and was described by her classmates as a, quote, shy, studious, friendly girl who had many friends, and because of her devout Catholicism and general good nature, 
was deemed a, quote, living saint by the family who loved her. The oldest of four children, Margaret's father was a local foreman and minor politician. On December 17, 1938, a man contacted Margaret and offered her a job at his new insurance company. According to the businessman, he had called over to the college and asked for a list of recent graduates to offer the secretary job to, and they gave him the name and number of Margaret Martin. Thrilled at the prospect of a new job, Margaret agreed to meet with the man in Kingston Corners, not far from her family home. When she didn't come home that night, her family knew something was wrong, and they called the police. Several witnesses claimed they saw Margaret get into a brown Plymouth or a black sedan with a man after engaging in a brief conversation. The man was described as suave, neat, sandy-haired, between 25 and 30 years old, and slightly overweight. This was the last time Margaret was seen alive. While friends and family worked frantically to search for their beloved Margaret, news of her disappearance remained a mystery to the public as the local newspapers were on strike, meaning any and all information on the case was handed down by word of mouth. Four days after the supposed job interview and 25 miles away, the body of Margaret Martin was found in a forested area of Northmoreland Township by a 19-year-old boy who was trapping muskrats in the area. That's when he found a large burlap sack submerged in about two feet into the creek and went to look inside. Margaret's naked, mutilated body was identified by her traumatized mother and determined to have been dead for at least 24 hours. She had been beaten, likely with a rock, strangled, stabbed, sexually assaulted, and raped. If not for the young man and his traps, her body may have never been found in this remote location. Her body was buried on September 24th, 1938, the day that she planned on attending an alumni dance at her local high school. It was attended by more than 1,000 mourners, while several plainclothed officers milled through the crowd looking for any suspects. She was buried next to the brother she watched die of a childhood disease at the age of four, who was buried on the same day as she was years before. On December 28, 1938, Pennsylvania State Senator Leo C. Mundy stated that at the next legislature, he would push to introduce a bill making sex crimes punishable by execution, require the registration of all sex offenders, and require all physicians, welfare, and social service workers to report anyone with tendencies towards sexual offenses. He cited Margaret's case as his inspiration. The investigation, which initially theorized that she had been sold into a sex slavery ring, found that Margaret was likely killed in an abandoned sawmill about 15 miles from the creek where she was found. They also believed that the killer attempted to dismember her body and destroy it in the mill's firebox, but was scared off when a man named James Kedd, who saw light and movement coming from the mill, came by to get a better look. James, who thought the unknown man on his property was simply a trespasser, fired a warning shot in their direction. The killer then drove off towards the creek where she was later found. Inside the steam boiler of the sawmill, police found some burnt-up clothing belonging to Margaret, as well as the jewelry she was wearing the day of her disappearance. Outside were frozen footprints of a male and a female walking side by side, until the female's prints disappeared and were replaced by the long trail of something being dragged across the mud. 
On December 22nd, the day after her body was found, the Scranton Tribune predicted that Margaret's killer would be arrested within the next 24 hours. That was almost 83 years ago. Over the next few months, Margaret's death resulted in a pretty lengthy manhunt, a handful of suspects and about 75 state troopers combing the area inch by inch, looking for any clues in the case. However, there were no tire tracks leading to the creek. The burlap sack was nondescript. A storm opened up shortly after the discovery, which washed away most of the scene. And in a time where forensics were pretty much non-existent, there was very little the investigators could do to solve this case. Within days, they announced their suspicion that the killer was a, quote, sex maniac with a cruel, distorted mind. And shortly after that, they received an anonymous tip from someone claiming to have overheard the phone call made to Margaret Martin in which she was offered the job. They described the caller in a similar manner to the other witnesses, and for a moment, police felt the surge of a new and promising lead. They called over to the college and found out that the anonymous man called at 9.15 a.m. on December 17th, at which point she gave the names of two students that she thought fit his criteria. The second name was that of Margaret Martin. The caller never called the first girl, only Margaret, making the police wonder if he called the school knowing that they would hand out her number. Though the theories were abundant in the case of Margaret's killer, no one has ever been charged with the crime. Some believe it was a local mortician or businessman's son who left the area shortly after the murder, while others believe it was a local assistant pastor, a teacher from her college, or a teenager whom everyone knew had a crush on the much older Margaret. Two men who attacked a 16-year-old girl in a nearby township were also investigated, but like every other person of interest, they were all ruled out as suspects. The manhunt for Margaret's killer continued for a number of years, with all leads heading towards dead ends. Then, in September of 1942, a man named Orban Taylor of New York City confessed to Margaret's murder, leading many to believe the case would finally come to a close. It was later determined that, after 10 hours of investigation, his claims were false and he was not charged with her murder. He would go on to confess to a number of different crimes, and two years after he was cleared of involvement in Margaret's case, he drank a cocktail of typewriter cleaning fluid, orange juice, sugar, and water, and ended his life. In 1999, Peter Paul Olszewski Jr., who was the DA of Luzerne County at the time, stated that even with the modern technology and forensic advances, it is unlikely that the murder of Margaret Martin will ever be solved. It's also to be assumed that the killer is, at this point, long deceased. Every year, along with all of Pennsylvania's other cold cases, Margaret's case is examined to see if any new leads can be followed. Nothing of note has changed, and as of 2020, the case remains unsolved. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to get Terrible Thing Happened on December 18th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.